Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Another Friday, another podcast that I'm bringing to you guys, and I hope you're stoked as I am because today we talk about some throwback OG Impy collectibles. So uh, Eric Lussier has been one of the guys in, this, in the scene forever. Uh, I remember him from the early 90s out there collecting VW parts and pieces. Uh, a lot of the Impy stuff, he was one of the original Pomona, you know, aisle hounds out there looking to shop and grab some deals and buy and resell and all that kind of stuff. And over the years, he amassed quite an Impy collection. He shares a lot of stories as, how, as to how he came across a lot of this Impy um, memorabilia and stuff like that. So, and if you're wondering who had the most expensive set of BRMs that were sold on the Samba, that would be him. So we get, uh, we do a deep dive on collecting and how he got into it and all the evolutions uh, in and out of that. So Excited for this podcast. I know you guys will dig it. But before we get into this, make sure you guys support our sponsors. Go to subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. Back on the scene after long hiatus, VW, Manage, VW Trends Magazine, a quarterly magazine that's coming out with a lot of how-tos and air-cooled and water-cooled stuff. So a real diverse quality of vehicles in the magazine. So go subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. And don't forget... Ross Wolf, high quality aftermarket parts, bringing new stuff to the market for enthusiasts, by enthusiasts. Uh, you need some deck lid hinges, buses by the bridge just around the corner, get your raggedy deck lid laced up with some stainless steel deck lid hinges. If they're all worn out, blown out, these new stainless steel deck lid hinges, you can sand them, polish them, paint them, whatever you want to do, but they're indestructible. They'll last longer than the rest of your bus. And if you want something cool and you're doing kind of a throwback, old school, a little bit of an outlaw vibe, They've got their new heavy-duty plug wires that are cloth-wrapped, look like old-school vintage wires, but they are a high-quality silicone wire in the middle, and you should order pre-order your sets today. So go to rosswolf.com and go get some eye candy for your engine and some good performance goodies. So lots of new stuff coming up with those guys, and we'll have them back on the podcast after a little bit talk about some of the new products and pieces they're developing. So go check them out. Give them a follow at rosswolf. 42, I think it is their Instagram. Look up rosswolf.com and go check them out today. So don't forget if you haven't set up for this weekend. I know I'm keep I'm, I'm reminding you that's why I keep saying don't forget. I say don't forget too much, but we're and we're you know we're gonna work on that, okay? So October 3rd through the 5th, one crazy weekend is happening in 2024. Make sure you go book your rooms now, man. The Orleans Hotel and Casino, great place, great rooms, a fabulous place to have a wonderful vw weekend and the rooms are dirt diggity cheap we're talking 40 bucks for third for wednesday and thursday and friday and saturday are 90 bucks a night you can't beat that with a bat anywhere so go get your rooms booked today because they will the block of rooms will sell out so block your rooms today you can register for the show uh now and so get yourself all situated you heard a few podcasts back. We discussed some concerns that somebody had. We've addressed a bunch of that stuff for this next year coming up. So go get set up for that today. And if you want to support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com. Click on the store tab and pick up some merch to support your boy here. Other than that, you want a shot on the podcast, you guys can send me an email at Built Let's Talk Dubs. Give me some points of uh, interest to talk about something to discuss on the podcast if I discuss it. We'll give you a shout out as well as if you give us a five-star review, don't forget to leave your name in the five-star review and share the podcast with your friends. I love when you guys share the podcast because that's how we grow this thing organically. We've got a few thousand listeners that are listening all around the world and you guys are the ones that have helped this grow. So keep sharing the podcast with all your friends that are into good, high-quality VW talk and we're going to get into it this week. So 
No, no more waiting. It's time to talk old school. It's time to talk MP collectibles. And we're going to do that with Eric Lucier on Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, I've got uh, I've got one of the OG guys from back in the day that used to be knee deep in collecting. Was kind of getting into that MP thing before a lot of people were getting into it. And so uh, on today's podcast, I've got Eric Lucier, and he's with Second Avenue Scooters now. But you would know him from he probably has the record for the most expensive set of BRM sold that everybody saw on the internet for quite a while. And I'm excited to welcome the podcast. So Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, so you and I have met in passing before, especially when I saw your pictures. I'm like, yeah, I've seen him a million times at Pomona and all that stuff. Cause back in the early days of doing Pomona and all those things, you were the guy that was out and about and always had the cool trick stuff for sale. The way that we start the podcast always is your VW story. How did you get into Volkswagens and what's your VW story? I got into Volkswagens at uh, 14 years old. That was uh, 1984. Um, my father, there was a little VW repair shop just around the corner from where I live. And my father went up and purchased me a 1970 Squareback uh, for $300 from a little, little shop called Jim's VW Service on the corner there of 34th Street and McDowell. Yeah. And um, that's how I got my first one. Uh, and that's kind of what got me down the road of Volkswagen. And so 1984, you get this thing, you said you're, you said you're 14 years old at the time when you get it. Yeah. And then, so you, it's a running driving car and do you get into like the customizing of it or are you just keeping it stock or what's the vibe when you get it? Well, it runs for about three days <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And, um, something happens in the motor locked up. So my dad took it back up to the guy and came back home with a 69 BW Squareback. And I'm not sure what, what transpired there, but I ended up with the 69 BW Squareback. And that's the, that was basically my first car. That was the first car I ever did much to. And we, we, um, my dad was a car guy, uh, hot rods, Harleys, uh, grew up, grew up with cars, grew up doing all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, but me and him never did cars together, really. Uh, he, he did his thing, and he really didn't care much for the Volkswagens, and he really didn't show much interest um, in, in my car. So my friends came over, and we lowered it in the driveway, and, oh. you know, pulled, pulled springs, turned torsion bars. You know, we, we did it old school in the driveway. And so you, so at the time, when you get a square back, like you've already got buddies that are into VWs, and you're like, dude, I'm getting a Volkswagen. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I had a lot of friends with Volkswagens. Very cool. And then, <clears throat> so this is the '80s, and so it's like the height of, you know, the cow look movement. I, I mean, they say cow look, but it's more the custom bug movement. I, I'm gonna say pre cow look because this is when, 
84. I mean, this is when Chrome was evil. You, you know, you got rid of all the Chrome. Right. If even if you had a even if you had a super early car, I mean, if you had a split window, it wasn't cool unless you put eight spokes on it. Right. And you had to have the knockoff spinners. Um, bumpers had to be painted the color of the car. You know, when one piece windows were, were the thing, you know, uh, dark, dark window tint, uh, hugely loud stereos bumping as hard as you could. I mean, that, that was the look, you know, velour interiors. That was the look back in the 80s. Yeah. And, and at that time, what's the scene? And I'm assuming this is in Phoenix at the time. Yeah, this is the Phoenix scene, which, you know, we're we're just like California's next door neighbor. So you got to think pretty much what was happening in California was pretty much what was happening here at the same exact time. Yeah. And so you have this square back and what's like, what's the final result of the square back? So you lower it you just keep it. You know, because on my first car, we kept, I just kept smoothies, Porsche nipple hubcaps, and that was the extent of the wheel customization because obviously we're just broke kids trying to get. Yeah, one. yeah. And well, my, the first iteration was my father was an electrician mm -hmm. and he did some job for someone and he, and for payment, he received a Porsche 914 that had been hit front and rear. And so the motor was good in it. And he assumed I could take the motor out of that and put it in my VW, which, you know, which you couldn't because it was a, you know, mid engine and not a rear engine. Right. And what I ended up doing was I took the wheels. It had those, it had those wagon wheels on it. Um, I don't know what they're called exactly, but they look like wagon wheels. They had, you know, spokes, but they were flat. Right. Um, and we took those off and put those on my squareback because they were the same four lug pattern as yeah. my 69 squareback. That was the first iteration of the car. You know, later, I owned the car for a long time. Uh, later, we, you know, by the time I got rid of the car, um, it had bug headlights welded in. Uh, it had a, I had bought a ragtop sliding sunroof section that had come out of a, a super early bus. Yeah. And we had narrowed and shortened it and put it in the roof. So I had a full sliding sunroof in this thing. Oh, wow. Um, I had changed the doors with the 67 square back. Uh, so I had the earlier doors. Uh, when it left, it had five lug smoothies, type three smoothies on it, so it, and with hubcaps. So it had a, it was pretty stock looking, slammed, trying to make it look like a variant. You know, it had the rear hatch off a variant. Um, my favorite car of the time, and this dates me as well, is was Rinker Dinker Stinker, the the square back that had the bus safari windows in it with the with the Landau top. Yeah, that was in the magazine and. You know, I think it was a Kid Dean car. I can't, I'm not sure, but I think so. But, you know, it was the Safari windows that sold me that, you know, I was going to eventually get the front section out of a bus and we were going to make that work. But the thing with Rinker Dinker Stinker is there are no actual photos of that car. So, I mean, just the, just the one photo. So nobody on earth knows if it had a bus dash, only the people who saw it in person. Did it actually have a bus dash in it or not? Right. So, you know, that was, that was the one thing is like, how did they do that? How did they do those windows in that? Yeah. It's, so. cr it's crazy. Cause you know, you get, you get a car like that, like the rinker dinker stinker. And it's, and I, I as you said it, I Googled it real quick and it's just like, <laughs> now I remember the car completely and it's got the bus. It's got kind of a modified bus dash in it with the safaris and it was yeah, super, yeah. just super unique looking. And that was really yeah you know, the eighties all encompass was just kind right. of like, you one know, one of my death, one of my deathbed wishes, my, you know, my Holy grail wishes is before I die to actually see the dash of the car, to see what that car, to see it, maybe see it in person. You know, that was, 
always my favorite car. Yeah, I'm gonna have. You to... know, and there was there's like literally one photo of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to track that thing down, man, and try to see. I hope someone does look up look up the owner and get the build process on that thing because it was yeah. a super wild looking car, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. So, I'm going to do a deep dive on that, dude. So you, so you had big plans. Like, so you, you what, what's funny is most people know you as like a preservation. Well, I was, you know, I was type three, Eric, long before I was empty, Eric. Right. You know, I, I've had, I mean, we've all had a bunch of different nicknames our whole lives. Well, I was type three, Eric. And then I was, then I was empty, Eric later. Um, when I got rid of the square back, the last thing we had done was I had, you know, we're talking pre-internet now. Yeah. I had, um, track down a right-hand drive dash and pedal assembly out of out of australia and i had it shipped and i had it put in the car and never drove it as a right-hand drive really um it, the bodywork was done yeah the bodywork on the car was mo- mostly finished the dash was welded in and mostly done i had never installed the, the pedal assembly yet um it, and then i ended up selling the car you know i moved on and ended up selling the car uh I hear it's up in Flagstaff. I sold it to a gentleman by the name of Dante, if that helps. Uh, and I hear it's up in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I hear he still owns it, and I hear it's never been touched since he bought it for me. So if somebody's looking for it, I believe it's up there somewhere. So when you sold it, it, it wasn't running and driving, or you just finished it and kind of got it just barely together? It wasn't running and driving with the right-hand drive. I had never finished doing all that conversion. You know, the dash was welded in, but we hadn't changed over the steering or anything else. Nothing else had been mechanically done. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the kiss of death for some of those cars because it's like, there's. I remember there's a car here, a Ghia that I bought that a, a friend of mine built, and then he was like, it started as a, oh, we're just going to repaint it project, then it turned into like a full-on right-hand drive conversion, and then it just never got finished, and then I bought it like 10 years later off of Craigslist and then I sold it to a guy. He was going to finish it. He never finished it. So, <laughs> and it's like, it, it just never gets, you know, everybody's got the, the gumption to get to it until it comes time to just get yeah. it buttoned up. So yeah. you're now, so you're hardcore in type threes. And my, and my brother George was in a type threes, you know, hardcore. He had the, the black square back. He, he, he took first like the 93 Jamboree in the classic. It was a black square back with a full length wood slat, white roof and fully polished two liter alloys. I remember the car. And I remember he sold it. He daily he daily drove that car in construction. And it had an immaculate paint job. And he thought he had cut a fat hog selling that thing at Pomona for 6500 $6, bucks. Oh yeah. And it got shipped off to Japan. And it's like Yeah, oh yeah. But I remember back then when the when the Japanese were buying everything. Yeah, every car was kinda like, Hey, what happened to your car? Like, oh, it was at Pomona. The Japanese guys came up to me and they just offer me ten grand and everybody's you know, everybody's just at the time, 10 grand might as well have been a million dollars. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, we all, you know, we, I remember walking Pomona looking at three fifty six Porsches and I remember seeing $3,500 price tags going, man, I, I can never afford that car. Right. <laughs> and that, so getting into the hobby, you start as kind of a type three guy and type three guys. I, what's funny is I think when you start as a type three guy, you kind of, you're on, I don't want to say you're in the fringe of the hobby, but you're not a bug guy. Like you're into something. Yeah. You're always into something. It's a little different. It's a little, it's a little unique. The type three guys all stick together. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of that whole thing. And then it kind of sets the tone for your hobby, right? Like you, you like stuff yeah. that's different. You don't want something that yeah. everybody has. That's the same. I'll I, I tell you the, I'll tell you the funniest story of driving a type three from day one. 
we used to cruise central, you know, everybody used to cruise back in the seventies and the eighties. And uh, we used to cruise our central Avenue here and a guy in a, I want to say it was, um, it was uh seafoam green. I want to say it was an 11 window deluxe or a 13 window deluxe slammed on Porsche alloys. Yeah. And, and it's a, he, he, in the bus, he pulls up next to me and I'm in my primer squareback and I'm cruising central. And this guy pulls up in his bus and he seriously rolls it, slides his window back and looks over at me and he says, I'll trade you my bus for your squareback right now. <laughs> and I looked over and I went, dude, nobody wants buses and drove on. <laughs> and, I, and I'll never forget <laughs> saying that because now that's all I have is buses. Yeah, no thanks, bus loser. I'm driving a Type yeah. 3. Like, who wants a bus? Yeah, nobody <laughs> wanted a bus back then. They but weren't it, cool. <laughs> what, what was funny is, like, I remember having a bus that I I ended up getting a bus in a trade, and it was black and white, and it was a 11 window and stock height, and the bulkhead had been cut out. I'm driving thing around. I'm like, man, this thing's a loaf, dude. It's hard. To, I mean, it's not fast. It's nothing. And it was one of those things where – I drove it around. It was kind of a novelty for a minute. And then I'm like, yeah, I got to dump this thing and get rid of it. Cause who really wants a bus? You know, it's, <laughs> yep. it's, it's funny how the dynamic of the hobby changes, you know, but now bringing up the fact that you were into type threes and kind of into something a little bit different, what possesses you to sell the square back and what's the next project you go to after that? And, and, and do you start getting into collecting stuff at this point? Cause obviously as a type three guy parts are hard to find. And I think that's naturally kicks off, type three guys really being big collectors, you know? Yeah. I, I went, you know, it's, it's funny. I went from that to a, um, to a 58 ragtop bug. Um, if that was the first, you know, first car after the square back. And then that, you know, quickly, quickly became too much of a project. And I ended up with a 63 ragtop bug, yeah. uh, bought it, bought it from a friend. Um, he had purchased it and I had bought it from him because I needed transportation desperately. I was, I, I had no running car at the time and I was just, I just needed a car. Uh, so I ended up with the 63 ragtop bug and, um, that, that became the empty car. Uh, and that, you know, I had, I, since then I've had just insane and mountain numbers of cars, you know, all, all over the place, lots and lots of cars, a lot of VWs. Yeah. And you know, that one car, uh, you know, it started out with a, uh, I, I made it myself on the sewing machine at home. I made a tartan plaid sunroof cover for the ragtop. Nice. And, um, you know, it wasn't anything special. It was, uh, like a dove blue color and I two-toned it white. And, um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't anything special. It looked like every two-tone car with white walls at the time. Right. There was nothing special about it. And it, it slowly morphed into the, you know, into the empty car that I had little little at a time now because i mean people that know your name know your name because of a lot of the collectible stuff that you've been selling and tons and tons of nos stuff how do you start what what's the what's the thing that you think just triggers this pursuit that you had just to start collecting all kinds of cool early you know performance stuff well you start you know you in the early days you know we friends of mine were going we're going to the classic you know we're going to the vw classic which used to be the big the big deal the big show right and so you know we'd all pile in our you know our our quote-unquote cow look bugs and you know our cars and we'd all we'd all drive to california for the classic every year you know again we're next door you know we're only five hours drive 
Right. So, you know, I, me and three or four friends in high school, we all go. And, you know, these shows changed your life. You got to finally see the cars you saw in the magazines, you know, and then swap meet. And that's where it starts is you're looking for parts for your car and there's a swap meet. You know, here at home, we have Buggerama. Right. But we don't have the stuff you have in California. So, you know, we go and we're in the swap meet and the things that are the cool things, nobody, we can't afford, you know, we're teenagers. We can't afford this stuff. We, you know, we have part-time jobs and we, you know, you can't afford a refract and you can't afford, you know, a wood slat refract and you can't afford the, you know, all those, all those accessories. These guys, these guys are coming over from Europe. You know, the European guys are coming over and opening suitcases at the, at the swap meet. And they're selling like stuff you've never seen before, like the coolest of everything. Right. And that's what, you know, that's what's like, wow, I want that stuff, but I can't afford that stuff. So I've got to figure out a way that I can buy these things because I really want them. So, you know, if you've got a little bit of ingenuity in you and you got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, you know, hustle, you could figure a way to buy this stuff. And that's, and that's what we did. We, we, you know, I had family in Pennsylvania. So you know, one every year, every other year, we go, you know, go home and see grandma and grandpa, you know, go back and visit my aunts and uncles, you know, you go for a funeral, you go for a wedding and there's junkyards everywhere back East yeah. because cars rusted out where you know, they didn't rust out here. So, you know, you didn't find too many cars, you know, here, but you found lots there. So on, on a vacation, I'd get my uncle to drive me over to the VW junkyard and, you know, we, I'd go out there and, you'd find some cool stuff on cars you didn't see out here because, you know, they weren't being picked over there like they were here. So you'd find a, an under dash tray or you'd find a wood slat roof rack, you know, and they would sell it for a reasonable price to you. So that kind of started the, the whole swap meet thing for us. I, I realized I could go there, spend a hundred dollars and come home with a whole lot of parts, you know, and then, you'd find cars with semaphores and you'd say, Hey, how much for the semaphores? And they sell them to you for nothing. You yeah. bring them back here. I don't have a semaphore car, but I could sell them for a lot of money at the swap meet in California. And then that money would allow me to go buy those parts and accessories that I couldn't afford. Right. So, and, and that's kind of what, kind of what happened is, you know, we realized that there was a lot of it back East, but there wasn't much of it left out here that wasn't already picked over. So we would, we would all pile in the car to go visit my family and me. It started with me, Matt Howard and Charlie Cooper. The yeah. three of us got in Charlie Cooper's mom's Thunderbird drove 27 hours to Pennsylvania no way. to spend, to spend a week with my grandparents. And we ended up renting a little U-Haul trailer to come home because we had bought so much stuff, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, we went to the swap meets and sold the parts and then turned around and split the money three ways and then took the money and went and bought parts for our cars, oh, accessories, you know, for our cars. Yeah. And that's it. It ballooned over the years. So what started out as Charlie Cooper's mom's, you know, Thunderbird turned out, you know, I had met a girl and we started dating and she happened to end up getting a job at a budget rent a car oh, and bonus. they and. And they ended up buying Cruise America. So what happened was they had these motorhomes back east that had too many miles on them. And they were paying a third third party company to drive them back here to Arizona where their where their headquarters was so they could rechassis them or or you know, fix them up and then sell them as used. Right. So 
we inquired, well, would you pay us to drive one back? And not only would they pay us to drive it back, they would pay for the gas. Oh, wow. So we would, we would fly one way with all our tools and pick up a motorhome in Ohio. And then we would just see my family for a day or two and then junkyard to junkyard to junk. This is all again before the internet. Oh yeah. And do one junkyard after another junkyard after another junkyard. And just, you know, what started out is started out as just hand tools, you know, before it ended many years later, we were, we had battery operated sawzalls and we were cutting sunroof sections out of cars. I remember one junkyard, we cut three bus sunroofs out, you know, at the window posts all the way around. Yeah. And we were, we were strapping this shit to the top of the motorhome with, <laughs> with tie downs. I mean, and the goal was fill the motorhome up to where they had nowhere left to sleep in it. And then you'd have to come home. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's what we, we did that for many years. You know, the, the, the funniest part is like, you know, the, the adventure of doing all that stuff starts because you don't have the resources, you don't have the money. So you try to figure yeah. out a hustle and then you end up figuring out like, Oh, I wonder who drives those things back. Maybe we could drive them back. And then just that in and of itself, it's like, it's like having the access to money that you don't have to fly all over the place and buy stuff. But now yeah. you're just, it's kind of, you're doing it while you're doing something else. You're getting, you're essentially getting paid to go junkyard hopping and well, I'm, I'm taking my vacation from work that's and I'm, you know, and, and I'm inviting friends and, you know, the, the cast of friends changed every, every few times, you know, it, there was always me and Matt Howard, you know, eventually Bill Bailey jumped in on that with us yeah. and, you know, it, it, the cast of friends changed depending on, depending on who had time off and, you know, who had a car and, you know, what, what we all wanted to get out of it. And, um, it was fabulous. I mean, some of the stuff we found, we walked into VW shops that hadn't been in business since the seventies, you know, and we were cleaning out shelves of NOS parts. It was just absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, and, and at this time, like the empty thing, cause at first it's like, get semaphores, get ragtops, get the obvious stuff. That's rare. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Heart taillights, you know, whatever you can find. And then the empty thing starts to gain traction in and, and what's funny is like early 80s the all the MP stuff got sold out from someone to a, a guy that i know and it really wasn't worth anything at the time and then you go 10 years later in the 90s like mid 90s all of a sudden there's this MP resurgence and i think it starts with guys like you that found really trick stuff that nobody else has and you're like well screw it i'm building a whole MP bug right like you just start putting stuff well, on the it, bug for me it started with a little VW uh, junkyard repair shop in Pennsylvania. We walked in and, and he had two empty wood steering wheels hanging from the rafters in the barn. And that was the first, first empty thing I ever got. Me and Matt Howard each got one of those steering wheels. Now, that, and that was the first thing. Is that the wheel that's still in his, uh, in his champagne colored car? Yes. <laughs> so cool. Matt yeah. Matt has sold not a single thing. He he has he has held he's the last of the holdouts. He hasn't sold a single thing. No, I know. Well, when I met Matt, so I met Matt through Buddy, and I remember going to Matt's house. Gosh, this has got to be twenty years ago, and I'm there. This is when he first had his Chrysler, the little three the three hundred that he custom painted, and I'm over yeah. house, and I'm like, dude, that's a freaking rad bus. Wow, you got this bug, you got this. I'm like, dude, you got all this stuff, and it was like threw me for a complete curveball because at the time I just know him for doing custom paint 
And then I realized, yeah. like, oh, bro, this guy's one of the scavengers, bro, that was out there in the early days, just snatching. He got up. that bus. He got that twenty-one window bus in Sierra Vista, Arizona, yeah, down down by the border, and he got that for. I, and I don't quote me exact, but I know he bought that bus for less than two thousand dollars. It's insane. I mean, it that was you got to remember back then. This stuff was so cheap. This yeah. stuff was so crazy cheap. Yeah, it's just you know you know it, but but the the key component is like how do you know the stuff is rare and early and then you you see the impy stuff so now it's like cool we got these cool impy wheels what other impy stuff can we find like do you guys find a catalog do you start looking like oh look they made this this and this i'm now i'm starting to this stuff's on the, your radar we walked into it well we walked into a shop in ohio and i remember going you know i remember you used you'd find empty parts in cars but I remember walking into the shop in Ohio and he must have been an empty dealer at some point because there was boxes of unopened empty like glove box poles and and dash pads, you know, padded dashes, padded yeah. dash, and wood grain stuff and just just tons of it. And we made a deal to buy it all from him and we ended up buying it all. I remember you know, that I had at one point I had a box of like a hundred and something love box pulls nos on the card and i remember uh the japanese came up to me it was uh the guy who owns flat four i'm mm -hmm. sorry i can't remember names but the guy who owns flat four and he comes up and he 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 wants this whole box and i'm like no nah, i can't sell you all of them you know i so he's trying to negotiate the price really down if i buy them all you know kind of thing right and um you know and then that's that's kind of it's kind of how how the whole MP thing really started was finding the stuff in, in places back East that, you know, still had it, you know, it didn't sell. And at the time, you know, MP was the only people that liked MP at the time were all the, the original Cowlick guys were the, were the, you know, DKP guys and the guys who were the generation before me. Right. You know, these guys, these guys were the ones who had it, but they didn't have it because it was MP. They had it because that was the performance stuff that was from the seventies. Yeah. You know, and their, their cars were that style. Um, and that was the original DKP guys, not the, you know, no, not the newer group, but, um, yeah. So they were the only ones that I, you know, who had that stuff before we started finding a lot of it. And then it just kind of exploded. You know, we, we had, I had bought my first set of BRMs, um, from a guy by the name of London and he, it was in Lake Havasu and I had to drive to Havasu and I went, I remember walking into this guy's garage and he, this was right in the beginning of when wakeboarding was starting to get like super popular. Right. And this guy wanted to buy a new boat or something to do. It had something to do with wakeboarding and he had these huge like topographical maps of, of, um, the lake all the way around his garage. And then I remember there were like seven or eight snap on toolboxes down one wall. And I'm just thinking to myself, good Lord, who can afford that many toolboxes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so in the middle of the garage, he's got a white 67 cow look bug, you know, DKP style cow look. Yeah. And it's sitting on a set of BRMs and he says, I'll, I'm selling the BRMs. And I said, well, you know, that's why I drove there. And I said, well, what do you got to get out of them? And we negotiated them to $400. Wow. 
And I ended up buying all four of them for $400 from the guy. And they, they were, those are the wheels I ended up selling. You know, those are my only set. And I ended up selling those for, you know, as you know, just an absolute insane amount of money. And those wheels were like practically new, like un, unmolested. They, they had never been polished ever. Um, they had, you know, they had the original caps. They were, I mean, they were just pristine wheels. Um, not a crack, not nothing wrong ever with them. And I, you know, I, I was scared to death to break them. So, um, you know, it took me forever to come up with all the sleeves and all the, all the stepped studs, the original step studs and all the sleeves and all the original hardware to put them on my car when I finally did. Um, but man, I was scared to death when they were putting the tires on them. I just, just everything, you know, they never held air either. That was another problem with, unless you put tubes in them, this things, they're porous and they just do not hold air. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting is to get that Holy grail set of wheels. And at the time you buy, what year is this that you buy those wheels? I was 90, I want to say 92, 94, somewhere in there. Yeah. So at that time, I mean, BRMs, the, the reproductions are starting to come out. And yeah. Yeah. And I remember one of the, one of the most disheartening things for me was people walking up to my car with them on my car going, Oh, he's got the new flat fours. And it just, it just made your heart sink. You know, it's like, you, <laughs> it was your Holy grail and you worked so hard to get them. And I had to borrow the $400 to buy them originally. And, and, you know, and the spare, the spare I bought from an original member of DKP, like the first DKP, I bought the spare from him and it had been welded. You know, it wasn't a perfect wheel at all. And, you know, I, I paid probably $600 for just the spare, you know, more than I paid for the other four at the time. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it's funny because, you know, I have a set of BRMs on my chop top and I, I had, I had one or two of them off and they're all welded on the back. Like they've been welded, you know, and yeah. that was just kind of the thing that people did to them back in those days. You know what I mean? Like they just get a crack yeah. and just weld them up, but it's, it's insane how, these these wheels and you know all this stuff starts cranking up in value and at the time when they're out and they're new and they're the hot thing they're not really like the people that wanted the brms were they they weren't like the newest coolest thing because first they were five lug and second yeah you know everybody obviously the the hot thing was when those wheels came out to convert your car to four lug and do the eight spokes because those yeah well they were drag racing wheels i mean that's what you got to remember is they only only the guys who were racing wanted those wheels well, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was getting at is, is the, the, the select people that wanted those wheels for what they were valued for because it was because they're because they're lightweight and they can race. Yeah. Then it's, you know, then it's a good thing. So it's it's one of those things where the wheels come and, and there's a little bit of a, a mystery on like when the BRM came out. Cause they're saying it, you know, it kind of came out in 66, late 66, which 67 is the last year for wide five lug. And they're trying to quantify how many sets are still out there today. But you know, those being as rare as they are, you know, I think that the second wheel that was as was about as rare as those or maybe even more rare as far as how many you could find was the cosmic, the five lug Porsche pattern cosmic. And I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to object to that and say it's the American racing wide five for VW, the magnesium ones. Oh, yeah. yeah like the D spokes. Yeah, they're they're absolutely probably one of the rarest magnesium wheels for Volkswagen because they're so hard to find. You'll find BRMs all day. You'll never find those things. Right. 
Right. No, that, that's yeah. a good point. I, wa- I walked up on a set of those at the little tiny community college flea market we had here in the boxes. Nobody wanted them. And the guy wanted $1,100 and everybody was like, like saying, you know, this guy's out of his mind. He'll never get that. And I wanted them so bad. And I, I had no money. You know, I had nothing to sell at the time that I could turn into the buying those wheels. I have no idea where they ended up, but I, I at least got to see them in the boxes at a swap meet. Now, when you start collecting and you start going down the road of like, okay, I got the MP wheel, I'm getting the door pulls, got the glove box pull, you have your standard kind of stuff. And as you go through their catalogs year by year, there are certain years where they had stuff that was in the catalog and then you never see it again. What, yeah. what yeah. for you are some of the coolest pieces that you've owned or is there any piece that you've owned that you had no idea how unique it was and you just let it go and in hindsight you would have kept it? Um, that's a tough one. I, you know, my, I think some of my favorite stuff was, was the, the, the early Swedish gauges with the, with the bubble glass. I think those are just, you know, they, they just, they just drip with style, you know, with the later seventies gauges are, they're, they're cool, but they're not bubble glass. Cool. You know? Right. Um, I don't know. I like that. That's one of my favorite things. I mean, probably the rarest stuff I ever had was I had one of the fiberglass racing hoods. Um, that was still in gray gel coat that hadn't been painted. Oh, really? Uh, that had th- with the tack mount out on the outside. The, the same hood that's on the lightning bug, basically. So they made they made two styles of that same hood. They made a street version, which was a thicker, heavier fiberglass, and then they made a racing version, which was paper thin. I had a racing version, um, and I'm trying to remember. I think I bought it from Troy Palmer. By the way, Troy Palmer was the first guy I met that was really into MP other than me and Matt. Oh really? Yeah. And we, you know, him and his dad were, were really into it. They were they racing though. They were, they were racers. So they were into racing and then it kind of more morphed into him building a street car. And he, so he was like the first guy I met, um, who was into MP as much as me and Matt, me and Matt. Yeah. Cause the MP thing, it wasn't until later. And I'm trying to think of the year that, uh, I think it's, Scott Black's car came out. I think it was Scott. Is it Scott Black or no Scott Smith? I mean Scott Smith. His name it was a black '67 that came that was in the VW magazine and Hot VWs, and it was uh, the 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 feature was called Lone Wolf, and he had like every MP accessory on there. You know what I mean? Like everything the two piece five spokes, and then I think mm-hmm. later he has. I think one of the photographs he's got BRMs, but they may be reproduction BRMs in the photograph, but. It was like it come to a head where it was like all like finally when somebody finally starts getting all the parts and pieces, then they just start reproducing that stuff like crazy, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's a supply and demand issue, you know? Yeah. Well, once people are once they see like people are willing to pay, you know, fifteen hundred bucks for a set of wheels or like, wait a second, maybe we have something here. And then they come out with the, the BRM yeah. knockoffs, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> now you had. So the set, the last set that you sold for quite a bit of money, that's the same set that you bought in Lake Havasu. That's the only set. Well, I'm not, not the only set I had. I had had several other wheels come through here, but that was the only set. That was my first set in the set I kept. And then I sold it because I'm trying to restore this camper. And as we all know, campers are like the most expensive, hardest, impossible restoration to ever finish. Right. And I needed money to basically, I mean, I wasn't, I'm never going to own a bug again. You know, I, I have sold all my VW bugs. I'm only have buses now. And 
you know, I'm not going to put BRMs on a bus. That's obviously a, asking for, you know, an exploded wheel. Right. So I, I ended up selling them just so I could put all the money into the camper, more or less. Now you're telling me a little about the camper earlier. What's what's yeah. the story on the camper? What year and what's the what's the details on the camper? So it's a super early 1961 SO34 flip seat sub hatch. And it just happens to be the bus that was used in the movie Forrest Gump. Um, the actual bus that's on screen when for about 30 seconds when you watch the film. Really? Yeah. And the backstory on the bus is it's because, you know, I, I over a period of time tracked down the guy who owned it during filming. Um, I got it from a local body shop owner who took it in on payment for doing work on another bus for the, for uh, Douglas Denlinger, who, who I don't know. Um, he bought it from the guy who owned it during the filming. And, um, so I traded, I actually traded a 1955 series 62 two door coupe Cadillac for the, for the camper. Really? Straight trade, straight trade. Wow. Yeah. And the Cadillac was Cadillac was, I was third owner. Cadillac was an original Tucson car had zero rust. Uh, it was original paint turquoise, um, turquoise and white. Uh, it was, it was lowered and I had done the interior and I had the motor and tranny rebuilt. And I mean, it was a, daily driving car and i ended up trading it straight across for a complete stripped project camper now, so that the you know and that should tell you <laughs> yeah now how so, did you how did you how did the bus get from a running driving bus to just completely stripped down so the the original owner found it in a in a farmer's field in tennessee and they had he had he had a friend who had the same bus and so basically together they were fixing up these two campers and um, during the filming of Forrest Gump, they approached him because they needed, they needed a VW bus that was period correct for that point in the movie where they were filming. So it had to be pre 1962 or pre 1963, I believe. And this was the only bus they could find. So what they did was, in lieu of paying them to use the bus for the film, they offered to fix all the bodywork, repair the rust, and paint the bus so they could use it in the movie. So they filled all the rust with chicken wire and styrofoam. Oh wow! And and just new like newspapered over it, and then painted the bus. <laughs> they didn't actually properly repair anything, you know. And then they filmed. I, he told me there was a total of eight minutes on film with the bus. And that none of the actors could drive a stick shift. So they put him in hippie clothing and they had him drive the bus during all the film shots. And then, and then I guess what happened was the screen actors guild found out that he wasn't actually part of the union Yeah. and they were forced to cut all the scenes with him driving the bus and all the driving scenes in the bus. So what, what was left was 30 seconds of film where Jenny is saying goodbye to Forrest and climbs in the bus with the hippies and then it drives off. And that's all you see of the bus in the film. It's literally 30 seconds on screen. Well, that's crazy. And then how do you know, how do you know it's that bus? So I, I have, I have the original title because fortunately when Doug Denlinger had made the deal to buy the bus, he never changed the title over. So I had contacted the original owner 
because I looked his name up and I, I used Facebook to, to track him down. And anybody who had that name, I messaged. Right. He eventually messaged me back and we started talking and I told him, look, I'm restoring it and I own it now. And so we started talking about it. And then so he sent me an entire album of photos taken on set oh, wow. with the bus. So I have that. And then he sent me all the paperwork showing uh, the bus was used in the film. So there's actually formal paperwork with the movie studio name on the paperwork and everything talking about using it and using it in the VIN number matches. And I have the original title, uh, his title. I have the original title, which I paid to keep as a souvenir title. Right. So I have all of this paperwork proving the bus was actually used in the movie. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, that's, I mean, the bus in and of itself is, is valuable because of the sub hatch and the flips because of what it is. Yeah. Right. But the fact that, it's in a movie bus, but not just any movie bus, but a, <laughs> right. but a humongous movie. Yeah. yeah so it, I, I, I estimate it. If I were to ever not be able to drive it and have to sell it, I would estimate it's worth twice its value because of what it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially being a movie collectible and it being a bus, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they yeah. actually have to, most things in movies are props and to have an actual prop that you could drive. You can drive in camp and it's, you know, but how so did, does, so how did it end up getting so, stripped? So, well, here's the thing. I have photos of it from filming and after filming, and it's got some of the cabinetry in it still. And it had uh, it had the toilet and it had the water bottles in all the photos that I have, um, and some of the other you know interior. The seats had been recovered, uh, which I later found out the the owner during the film, his father had recovered the seats for him. Um, so. When Doug got it, you know, I don't know if, if you know who Doug Denlinger is, but I don't. Doug, so Doug goes way back into the, you know, into the '80s as well with VWs. But Doug's claim to VW fame is he's the guy who started buying buses and restoring them, and then selling them at the auctions. He's he's the first person to ever sell a bus for a hundred thousand dollars at an auction. Oh, really? So a lot of people actually in the beginning, this was in the '90s. A lot of people blamed him for making buses and VWs unaffordable for the rest of us. And he got a lot of flack and, and pushback, blowback on that. Right. Um, you know, but he was he was restoring these, farming out a lot of the work, doing a lot of it himself at, at his home. And, you know, just doing, you know, doing the best he could, hiring everybody and anybody to help, you know, help do body work and build motors and just to get these buses restored. So when he bought this one, he was, you know, he was excited because it was a movie bus. He was going to restore it and keep it. But then um, a, a tree fell in his backyard onto the bus and damaged the roof. And I think that's what kind of pushed him to not want to bother chasing it any longer. Right. Uh, about the same time, he got a SO23 for a customer to restore. And not knowing much about the differences in the campers, Doug stripped this bus to use the parts for the other restoration. Um, and from what I understand, he still has all of these parts cause he's never finished the restoration on the other bus. Uh, but from what I understand, he still has most of this interior or whatever, he, whatever he took out of it, he still has most of it. And I've been trying to get it for several years from him. Um, but in the meantime, I, I don't want to wait. So I've just been buying what I can find. So does he live, so, he lives out, where's he live in Arizona? He, he has, uh, multiple properties. Uh, huh. Uh, here in here in Scottsdale and Tempe and the you know surrounding out out side areas of Phoenix, uh, he's really he's really not into VW as much anymore. He's now into hot air ballooning. 
Oh, really? So he, he does mostly hot. Yeah. And he's been selling off his collection of really rare buses, by the way. He had a lot of original sign paint stuff and a lot of original, you know, buses that were commercial buses. Um, a lot of 21 and 23 window stuff. Uh, but he, you know, he's been selling off all of his stuff. Uh, he sold his 356 Porsche quite a while ago, and he had a Messerschmitt car he sold a while ago. Interesting. So, yeah. That's it, but it's, it's crazy how the hobby just goes in those cycles where, you know, yeah, oh yeah. you've got people that are super into it, and then after a while, they're just no longer into it, and they're... Well, people's lives on. change. Yeah. You know, they have families. You know, they have families and kids, and your priorities change, you know. Yeah. So that's, uh, so you, you then, um, you start having all these empty, you have all this empty stuff. Um, yeah. you're at the swap beat all the time. You're buying, selling, and all the while you're still a bus guy. So you're always on the lookout for bus stuff. Now, what do you, do you still have any buses? I have three, three. uh, currently three and a Vespa car, a Vespa car. A Vespa 400, yeah, a little two-cylinder clown car. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. And what what are the buses that you have? So I have a 1959 single cab Mm -hmm. that I purchased in 1990 along with a friend of mine, Bill Bailey. uh, And we used it for our swap meet business, you know, for selling the parts out at all the swap meets. Uh, If you went to Pomona, you saw it there every Pomona for almost 10 years in the same spot. Um. So we bought that from a little VW repair shop. It was a Porsche VW shop, uh, opened in 1963, went out of business in 1990, I want to say 94, mm-hmm. 93, 94, went out of business. Um, we bought the bus from them in 1990 for $1,500, running, driving. And wow. um, I eventually went back and bought out the entire shop when they went out of business and bought everything in the building uh, all the tools, all the machines, all their inventory, all the Porsche parts. Ended up buying everything they had. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and, and then and I still have that. And that that if if you've been to Phoenix, you've seen it driving around because it's been my daily driver since I got it. It's it's been the my main mode of transportation almost since then. Your single cab. My single cab. Yeah, I still drive it almost every every other day. And what motors in it? Uh, it's on its, you know, third, fourth motor somewhere in there. It's got a 1776 with dual Delordos, wow, you know, behind cool. a, behind a, you know, 12 volt transmission with, uh, you know, big nut transmission with, uh, freeway gearing in it. Is there any lettering on the, on the single cab? Oh, it's all, it's all logoed up. It's, it's logoed up for my, uh, for my current business, which is, uh, you know, vintage scooter Vespa Lambretta restoration business. And then how do you make the jump where you go from Volkswagens to Volkswagens to Vespas? I think they kind of go hand in hand, really. I mean, about the time that, you know, I, I've always been into vintage scooters. Uh, but about the time that Volkswagen started getting expensive, vintage scooters never did really until recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could still buy vintage scooters for still cheap like we used to be able to buy Volkswagens super cheap. Um, so, you know, I the hobby... It was a hobby, um, just like Volkswagens. And then when the economy tanked, uh, you know, back in the back in 1999, I believe it, when the economy went, you know, in, in the bubble burst. Right. Um, I found myself without a, unemployed, and I found myself looking for jobs. And unfortunately, being a painter and a body man working at custom shops, uh, I couldn't find a shop 
you know, that was hiring. Nobody would hire me. I couldn't find work. So it was either go to Home Depot and get a job stocking shelves or take money out of the bank and, you know, try to turn a hobby into a business. And at the time, you know, we didn't have any scooter repair or restoration places here any longer. The last, you know, the last guy with famous, everybody, if you're into scooters, you remember Bob Darnell and classic Vespa and, he had packed up and moved off to Texas um, and uh, left town and moved off to Texas, leaving this huge void locally with tons of restored Vespa owners with nowhere to have their scooters serviced. So I kind of overnight started repairing scooters and, and um, painting scooters because there was, you know, there was no work out there. And that was, that was an avenue to keep the bills paid and fill an empty, a niche, a niche void. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, there's something that seems to be such a niche, but it's enough to where it provides a living it's, for somebody because there's enough. For one work. person, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's not like a, a crazy hobby that there's 50 million people into it, but the people that are into it are very, it's like the VW hobby. They're really into the it's, hobby. It, you're, you find that a lot of the guys who own the scooters also own VWs. You end up, you end up finding it. They're the same guys. Well, yeah, nothing so, cooler than the back of a single cab or double cab. See, right, a Vespa right. in the back of it. <laughs> yeah. So the second bus, the second bus I have is a 63 panel delivery walkthrough. Oh, and, no, those are not super common. And I bought that, believe it or not, from an Arizona State University student in 1996. Had a bad transmission and I got it for $500. Wow. I eventually um, wanted to go to uh, Bad Comberg in about 1999 and to get the, to get the funds to do the Comberg trip, I sold it to a friend of mine. Um, many years later that, that friend, he had diabetes and unfortunately he had passed away from diabetes. Um, and his family contacted me and he, he was a VW guy too. And he had a lot of VWs and they asked if I would come help clean their property up and get rid of, you know, a dozen VWs and all the parts that he had. And so I helped him, you know, I helped him sell it all and then use the money to, you know, gave them the money or use the money to buy his headstone for them. And then, um, when I came, you know, when, when the, when it came to the bus, it was still sitting there and it's still in my name. Oh, wow. And I went to his parents and I asked if I could buy it back. Uh, and I basically bought it back for what I sold it for and, you know, started the restore it all over again from the first time because it had been sitting for a long time out on the Indian reservation. That's crazy. So I, you know, I'm still working on it. I'm almost, I'm all, I'm just right at the end of it being finished with it. And what but, year, what you year know, is that panel? 63. So 63 panel delivery walkthrough. Yep. No logos. It's seafoam green. Um, it's completely lowered now and it's got full 356 Porsche running gear underneath it. Uh, B brakes, uh, Porsche date stamped wheels, uh, and it's got the rudge, the fake rudge knockoff uh, centers on it, so it makes it look like it has rudge wheels. Oh, cool! Yeah, kind of old school look. You know, yeah. not. I I thought about putting those new uh, those new um, the salt flats race wheels on it with the kidney being cut outs because I really like the way they look. But old old school one out. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. And then the the third bus you have. Third bus is the is the sixty one camper. So I've got the fifty nine, the sixty three, and the sixty one. That's cool. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you know, well, and, and so you're still in the hobby as an enthusiast, but no longer dealing in hunting and chasing parts to kind of. To no, no. Right. A, f- a few years. Well, I still have some of the MP stuff. A mm-hmm. uh, few years ago, I, um, you know, I still had lots of like new old stock split window and in uh, early, early oval stuff. Uh, I still had like tons of NOS parts from all of our trips, you know, lots of uh, generator windings and boxes and things, things that aren't exciting, but they're fun because they're NOS. Right. You know, like, I, like um, I had at one point, I had a bunch of type three NOS stuff, uh, including a uh, uh, fuel injection uh, harness in the box. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, bay window bus, NOS rubber, you know, stuff that was stuff that really wasn't exciting that nobody got nobody got crazy about. But it was nonetheless, it was still NOS and it was still kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but I had a shed full, you know, still I still had about ten thousand dollars worth of NOS stuff. And I, you know, I eventually just put an ad up on the Samba and I said, you know, someone come and give me five thousand dollars and just take it because i you know i'm not going to swap meets anymore you know it's my, my time has become so valuable that you know spending the day at the swap meet to make four hundred dollars wasn't wasn't worth all the extra effort to ha- to drag it back and forth and yeah set it up for you know set up for hours to make a nice setup so i i ended up just selling it off you know for to a local vw shop actually bought it all Oh, that's well. I mean, that's that's good. It went. It stayed local. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But the empty stuff, you know, I I sold that piecemeal here and there to pay for camper stuff. And I still have some of it. You know, a lot of it. A lot of it I took over to Matt at Deluxe, and I and I, you know, I offered it to him. You know, for you know for friend prices. You right. know, gave him. I gave him my eliminator shifter. Um, basically, let him have it for his bug, for his pink bug, yeah. and um. You know, I, I, you know, a couple things he took and I still have a full set of gauges with the tack and I still have, uh, I still have all the steering wheels pretty much. Now of all the steering wheels, I mean, how many wheels did Impy make total? Wow. They made dozens of different wheels, you know, and then they carried wheels that other people made and just rebadged them. Right. So, cause you know, I, I just recently picked up, um, an Impy, a GTV bug in 1971 and, uh, I've got that one. It's got one of those Riverside 500 steering wheels in it. And Yeah, and those are pretty rare. Those are fun. <clears throat> yeah, and and the cool thing is, you know, the 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 car was originally purchased um in Ohio or somewhere like that. I think it was Milwaukee in the Midwest somewhere, and the guy that bought it was a collector on the East Coast, and then he decided he was going to jump into a different project, threw it up for sale on the MP farm, and then I picked it up and he's actually replacing the um the heater channels for me and it just had the motor rebuilt and I'm actually going to go, I'm going to drive it back and it's on the oh, sprint. That'd, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's on the sprint stars and all that stuff. So it's got sprint stars it's got the rear scoops. It's got the, I mean, the big thing for me was the Riverside wheel. Cause that's, I, I think it's such a cool looking wheel, you know? And yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've got one of those wheels and I ended up getting a universal steering wheel and I, that's my favorite. I think that's always been my favorite. And, and I picked it up because my friend took it out of this gear that he had. He's like, I said, what do you do with this wheel? He's like, you can have it. I said, <laughs> I'll take it, bro. And then I get, took it. I took it because it was a wood rim wheel, had a chrome cap. And then I'm looking at it at home and I look at the back of it and it's stamped MP on the back. And I'm like, yeah, oh, bonus. But, you know, they, you know, the, the, I think my least favorite wheel and probably people are going to disagree with me is that coach wheel. I'm not the coach wheel. I've I've never been a fan of that uh, 
that big the big rubber well you know empy empy never made the coach wheel so well, no but not the coach wheel well it's an empty wheel but it's got a huge it's got the huge center cap on it it's like a big rubber it's like an airbag before they had airbags oh yeah yeah, yeah. and so um i had one of those and i traded that wheel to a guy for a set of 40s and you know he was super stoked because he got it and for me it was just like i wasn't super into it now and they also made the wheels they, they made the gtv wheel or the g the gt wheel they made in a flat also for like dotson's because at the mm -hmm. time the MP started doing stuff for yep. dotson as well <laughs> they made that wheel for either the dotson's or they made it for the greenbrier van the um oh the uh oh corvair Corvair Greenbrier van had a flat wheel as well. Really? Yeah, they made a wheel for that. I have one of those wheels NOS, and I I had it machined here locally. I'm going to put that in the panel, the 63 panel. Yeah, that's right. And is it a 14 or 15 inch, or is it 17? It's it's not that big. It's a I think the 17 would be the Greenbrier, um, and you, you'd have a hard time finding one. I only know of one. Um, and that's Richard Roth who has that wheel. Yeah. And um, and uh, I, I have the smaller one. I have the Datsun one. I have the smaller one. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge to drive the bus with it. But Yeah. No, it's uh, – I mean, there's there's so many things that are collectible. Like, is there anything in the MP catalog that – like, did, did you collect the catalogs as well too? I, ha I still have all of them. So in – Including the first one, which is the rarest of all of them. Is it the, the first edition, which is – what year is that, 58? 1957, 58, and it's this little tiny white print book with the little bubblehead empty guy on it. Um, and 90% of the products in there are made by someone else and just rebranded. Re right, like Okrasa and all that. Kind yeah, of... all, all the European. It's basically all the European accessories. Yeah. But there's some fantastic stuff in that catalog that's in none of the others. Yeah, it, it, you know, I see they've got a banjo wheel in that catalog, and they've yeah got the, banjo wheel. The the yep, and they've got the they've got the three fifty six Porsche uh, headlight bucket inserts that are engine turned in there, selling them as VW. Oh wow! Yeah, there's some neat stuff in that catalog. It's my favorite one to this day. It's still my favorite one. Now, was is there anything that you always wanted to try to find that you were never never able to find as far as? Uh, you know, an empty product out there that you thought like, oh man, if I found one of those, that would be super cool. Can't think of it. I mean, I've had most of it. You know, there was a lot of that stuff that was the later empty stuff that was really more kind of, you know, the big, big chunky fiberglass stuff, you know, like the twin coolers above the back window and, you know, all those big fiberglass scoops and flared fenders. That stuff's pretty rare because you don't see it all the time, but it, it didn't have much of an appeal for me. You know, I like the earlier cars and I like the earlier, you know, European style accessories. And, you know, like the MP radio was one of my, was one of my grails that I finally found an early AM six volt AM one. Now, um, now they made the MP radio up even up till the later models. They were, they had an yeah. AM FM too. Yeah. With the black knobs, they made it all the way to the late cars. Yeah. That's probably a pretty, a fairly rare thing to uh to run across with the mp radios i just wonder yeah. what you know i had uh resto johnny on here and we were talking about some stuff and we were, we were trying to figure out like what was the rarest thing that mp made that would be probably some of the 
most difficult things to find. And we talked about the door panels, like the, the Hawaiian print. Oh door yeah. Panels. Yeah. <laughs> and, and those, those I think would have to be quite rare. Um, I'm actually cruising through one of their catalogs and they had, it looks like they had a plaid set of seat covers. Yeah. I'd have to say probably one of the rarest things that I never had them were the front seats, the fiberglass single buckets that were basically the back seat cut apart. You know, if you were to cut the centers, the two seats out of the back seat and make it front seats, those are probably, I've only ever seen a few sets of those and and they're, and they're always in someone's car who found us. I've never seen the set for sale. You know, not, not to say that I, they weren't at a swap meet I was at and I just don't remember it, but. Right. Yeah. I had, a, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because when I was at the, I was at the bug in a couple of years ago and there was a, a rear seat for sale for 400 bucks. And I was like, oh, I should buy it. My brother's like, what do you need that for? I'm like, I don't know. I just think it's cool to have it. <laughs> what do you not need it for? Well, yeah. I mean... And then I was like, uh, I'll pass <laughs> on it. And then I thought that thing would look, cause ever since I've been there, since I saw that one that was for sale, I've been back and I haven't really seen any out there for sale. You know, it's, it seems like yeah. the MP stuff, you either see tons of it or none of it, you know? Yeah. They reproduced that backseat for a long time too. They did. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of people that remade them. And there's, there's also the, that's also part of the thing with collecting these things, right? Like trying to make sure you don't, you're not buying a, a, a piece that's been reproduced and because now yeah. they even, even with the flat four BRMs, they're like, Oh, these are flat four BRMs, So they're worth more than the other I, BRMs. I'm going to say if you want to put a value on the on the reproduction BRMs I would say the the very first ones ever made which were Java in the UK yeah those are probably the ones worth the most if you're going to put a value on them because they were the very first ones to make them before flat four even did it yeah and that's uh Java Johnny yeah there. and uh, I ran into him last time I was in the UK and and told him you know, got a commit from him to come on the podcast so we could talk about a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, cause he's got a whole story where they came out with a, with a couple lines of wheels and they had a huge trouble and big lawsuits and all kinds yeah. of stuff. So there's, there's definitely a, an interesting story there because what happens is, you know, we get into this, even if you look at the hobby as a whole, MP today that exists, exists under a name that wasn't legally obtained. Right. You know? The, the, right. The 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 MP, the name and all that stuff was sold from Filter Dynamics. It was sold to Lyle Cherry in Texas. And Lyle Cherry never sold it. And what happened was the sales guy for MP saw the name wasn't they let the corporation expire, whatever they oh. did, and he just went and re registered it, you know. How many how many times has MP changed hands? <clears throat> I mean recently I, they've changed hands. Well, they've changed hands. Well, you gotta remember, MP went out of business filter dynamics bought MP and then right. shelved it because the super beetle came out. They weren't going to develop any more products and it was just kind of a, let's buy it. Uh, this thing's done. Let's get out of here. And I was talking to someone recently and they were telling me that Joe Vitone told them, look, I'd get out of this MP thing now because they're selling pistons now for cheaper than I used to buy them for, you know? And so he saw the writing on the wall with MP and unloaded the filter dynamics just as the time of the super beetle comes out and then filter dynamics like i said MP was sold to lyle cherry and he just bought it for what reason i don't know and then uh dan weldon's father whose name was emil he worked as a salesman for MP, and then he he owned mr bug and then he saw that the MP name wasn't being utilized and 
started that up again. So then he ended up, his son had it and then his son sold it to the big corporation that owns it now. So um, it's- Yeah, the last owners of it bought my hood. They actually bought that fiberglass race hood because they were going to build a car. Yeah. And they also bought, you know, I had a, I had a, I had the coach wheel, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the one that MP didn't make the, the three spoke coach with the horn ring. Right. And I had, I had all the horn buttons, you know, all the, every variation of the horn button, including the rarest of them, which was the MP horn button. And I had, I, mine was like nearly NOS mint, uh, didn't have a crack. And it was like, it was just in pristine condition. It was the one I ran in my MP car for many years. Right. Um, they ended up buying it from me tell, and they told me when they bought the wheel that they were going to reproduce the steering wheel and that when they did reproduce it, they would give me one of the first copies. So I sold the wheel to them for a reasonable amount of money, uh, and the hood, cause they were going to build a car to, and they wanted to use that original racing hood. Uh, but then I heard they, I heard they dumped everything and sold it. Yeah. You know, I, and I, what year was that that you sold that? That was just a few years ago because, um, they were sold, I would say sometime around 2018, maybe just before. So, um, because I had interviewed the, the former CEO, which was the new CEO when they got bought by a conglomerate company. So I have to go look, I have the, I still have the check, you know, I, I cashed the check, but I, I did it by taking a photo of it and, you know, doing it digitally, depositing it so I could keep the empty check <laughs> and frame so. it. Yes. A true collector from to the very end, right? Yes. Selling Impy back to Impy, you know. Right, right. It was it was a big feather in my hat. It was like I finally sold something back to Impy. Right. Um, so yeah, I still have the check. I'd have to go dig it up and see what the date on it was. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see because I wonder I wonder who who picked that up. Because so you're saying the rarest horn button is a stock replacement button that says Impy on it? They they make it the yeah, they make the stock button instead of having the horseless carriage, they, it actually has the Impy globe in the plastic interesting i think they make that because i was looking i was looking for a center cap which i reached out to you uh earlier this week and just asked if you had a center cap because i have a 14 inch gt wheel that's going uh-huh. going in my type 34 and um i just don't have a center cap for it because that wheel came with gauges and all that stuff that was in a mm-hmm. car that was dropped off in front of my brother's shop like here we're just going to scrap this and he's like you don't want anything out of it no we don't want anything you don't want the gauges or anything I'm like nope <laughs> so i had a, <laughs> had a full set of empty gauges which i which i have now in a display case and then the 14 inch wheel so yeah. which i don't know how rare the 14 inch wheel is but I, i've seen one person advertise it as unbelievably rare but i mean i guess it's all relevant you know or relative to their production numbers and that's the interesting interesting part too like how can you track down any of this production information like how many units they actually made yeah Um, i mean right now i think the person you'd have to you know the only person that has more stuff than anybody is probably danny zapata currently yeah he because he you know he met he ran into the one guy and he bought bought out that one guy's and the guy was uh the designer guy or whoever who worked for MP and he bought out that guy's entire personal collection. And he probably has more of, you know, the non sold items, you know, paperwork stuff and office stuff. Right. He probably has more of that than anybody. Yeah. No, I definitely have, I've got to track him down because, uh, I definitely like to get the story on that and see, you know, because there's so many of these little people, I don't want to say, but like people that were involved to some degree with MP that maybe, 
have kept things or keepsakes or what have you. And, you know, out of nowhere, it's like you see Danny ends up with all this stuff and like original prototype drawings and all kinds right. of crazy stuff like that. So there's definitely tons going on in the hobby. And just when you think it's kind of gone its way, there's something else, you know? So I, I think it's interesting too, how like when MP kind of, when the collecting of MP stuff in, in 60 speed, 70 speed kind of started slowing down and kind of wavering here, it picked up overseas yeah. in, in like France and Belgium and in the UK. And it, it kind of does cycles, you know, it kind of, it's kind of interesting because we, we move on and then they, maybe, maybe it's just a, a, you know, like California starts the trends and it takes a while to get to the East coast. Maybe that's what we're doing is the trends just take a while to get over there. And yeah. by the time, by the time they're doing it, we've moved on to the next thing. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely interesting to try to figure out where the hobby goes next, you know, cause right. You know, just when you thought, you know, a thousand dollar set of wheels was crazy money. Then you see people spending $3,500 for a set of those SA sprint stars. Oh, I get, I'll tell you a wheel story. If you like, if you like rare wheels. <laughs> so back in the nineties, I had purchased from Matt Howard, a, uh, a 1957 uh, oval window bug had 36,000 original miles. It was basically a one owner car. Um, 100% original with all the paperwork from the dealer. Every receipt for every single every single thing that was ever bought for the car came with the car. Wow. He got it for payment on painting a bus to match a guy's motorhome. The guy towed behind his motorhome. And eventually Matt moved on and wanted to buy something else. And I bought the bug from him. This was when we got back from Camberg around, around 2000. Yeah. I bought the bug from him because we had come back from Camberg. And so I bought the bug from him and proceeded to collect rarest of all the accessories I could find out of Europe and put on the car on the oval and keep it still tasteful. And I came across and, and they were, these were in Ohio. I came across a set of the most, bizarre wheels you've ever seen the first bit of vw they were kelsey hayes radial spoked wheels which now if you don't know what radial spokes are but radial spokes are straight spokes they don't crisscross each other right so they're all it's multiple layers of spokes but they're all straight you know there's there's you know they're offset but there's there's like you know two two rows or three rows of spokes that are all offset, but they're all, they don't crisscross each other. They all just go straight. Uh, I think, so, I think I know what you're talking about. I think it's a, it's, a, it's like an aluminum, a cast aluminum center and a steel hoop. Yes. So these are Kelsey Hayes mm -hmm. and they're spoked, but then they have a rudge knockoff back plate. That's got teeth all the way around that fit into the back of the rim, like a puzzle. So, they're knockoff rims. So you bolt this hub onto the brake drum with all these teeth and then the center spine. And then the wheel slides over and then you use a knockoff hammer to spin the knockoff on and tighten it down to hold the wheel on. And I bought these things for $3,500. And I ended up, you know, you had to have tubes because they were spoked. I ended up finding it at one of the Pomonas. Somebody in the V8 section had a set of these new old stock vintage bias ply racing tires that were, I can't even remember the name on them now. It's so, so long ago, like Goodyear racing something, you know, tire. And they were raised white letter, uh, real narrow 15, you know, 15 by three and a half or something. You know, they were, they were crazy looking race tires. Yeah. I put them, I put them on these, on these spoked rims and I put them on that oval window and 
the first thing the first thing I thought my, to myself is, man, this looks like a you know this looks like kind of like low ridery, right? You know, it doesn't really look good on the car at all. And it, you know, they were they, they were rare, so I left them on the car and went to a lot of shows and showed the car. But eventually, I took them off the car and I sold them to Eric Meyer, who you probably might remember owned Simple Shoes. Yeah, yeah, he's been and, on, he's been on the podcast. He's probably ten episodes so, ago. <laughs> so he had a 356 Continental uh, pre A, uh-huh. and he put them on the pre A, and they looked like they belonged on that car. Well, come to find out, 20 years later, we find a, a photo in a magazine, a racing magazine. We find a photo of 356 Porsches racing with those wheels on them, and oh, that's wow. what they were. They were they were like a a variation of a of a Rudge racing wheel but with Kelsey Hayes wires and really interesting, super rare, probably worth several times more than BRM real BRMs. Yeah. That's insane. You know, probably, probably $20,000 wheels, $30,000 set of wheels. And I bought them for $3,500 a million years ago, not knowing what they were or anything. Yeah. I, I happen to be going through an old, uh, hot VW's magazine and I'm in the back page and there was that car from the eighties. That was this wild car that had the, it was all gold leaf painted stolen a couple times. What was the name of it? It was called, uh, it was named after a movie Tom Cruise is in. And it was like, Oh, top gun is the name of the car. And there's a picture of a body kit similar to that for sale in the back of the magazine. And it's like a Baja, this funky curved fiberglass Baja thing. And it's got a set of these Kelsey Hayes wheels on there, but they're called strippers. And <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a cast aluminum center that's riveted to a steel hoop. And they're a five lug wheel, 15, six by five lug. And it's just a really wild pattern. And they're just straight spokes coming in and out at different angles. And, uh, I, I looked at those wheels and I thought, Oh man, I, just out of nowhere, I saw these and I thought those are super unique looking. Those would look cool on a car. And then I started going down the rabbit hole of trying to find those wheels. And anytime there's something that's made really weird, like a, a two piece wheel or something like that, or like, you know, even with the BRMs, you know what I mean? Being made magnesium, a lot of times they just, they're very rare. Most people at the time that they come out, they, they want nothing to do with them. Um, and you know, either because they don't fit the, the style and the time, which I think limits the production and makes them go for more money later because not a lot of people bought them, you know? Yeah. I mean, the first wheel that comes to mind when I think about that, talking about that is the five lug, the five by one thirty cosmic is compared to the Fuke it is not a good looking wheel. What makes that wheel good looking <laughs> is knowing how rare that wheel is. Well, now that right. they reproduce it, they reproduce that and the four lug ones, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like you've seen it. You know, and that's kind of, and that's the thing in the hobby, right? What makes things stand out and look so different is that they're very rare and unique. And sometimes when you get, you know, when they start reproducing things, it then takes the thrill of having a set of originals. Having an originals, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I just recently saw. I don't. You probably remember back in the when I got into VWs. You know, mini trucks were a big deal at the same time. Yep. And um, remember the teddy bear wheels? I do. They just started reproducing those. I saw the other day, and I was like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" And they're unbelievably expensive. If you can find an original set, 
And we used to, you know, what's funny. I believe is, it. Is, is, I believe it. Is back in the 80s, you thought those wheels were like a joke. It was like the late I, 80s. Yeah, they were the dumbest wheels I ever saw. Yeah, and the teddy bears go for some some big money right now. It's wild. I, I've started seeing mini trucks again, you know, here under construction trucks. I haven't seen anything like finished, but I've seen two or three driving around. And it's like somebody's getting into them again. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie that uh, maybe – on my lot next door, I've got a Nissan 720 King Cab and a 92 uh, GMC Blazer, Mini Blazer, so and a set of IROC wheels. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like the things we couldn't have when we were younger, they're so right. disposed. I mean, I've got this right. Nissan hard body. It's not a hard body. Sorry. It's a 720. It was for sale for $1,000. And I drove it home. The next day, the next day I'm on, I'm on marketplace and I buy a set of like the champ 500 style wheels, you know, the, the they're like the five hole inky that were, uh, the typical mini truck deep dish wheel. I find a set of wheels and tires for 500 bucks and it's like, put them on there. Cars already lowered and it's like instant mini truck, like something that would have been like a, a kid's two year project I do in for $1,500 and in three days you know, right. It's crazy right. because it's all, and as it's all affordable now, it will soon not be affordable because people are thinking like, Oh, it's cheap. Let's get it. And then people just start. Cause it's like just, you know, 1500 bucks. It's well, like, we'll see it. We'll see it in the next issue of Haggerty <laughs> right. magazine, you know, where they're talking about the trends. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Speaking of trends. I mean, the, you know, the, the Mark one and Mark two rabbits have become the new beetle, you know, the, 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 from when our, when we gr we're growing up, what bugs were to us, you know, those Mark one and Mark two rabbits have become the beetle for this next generation of kids. Yeah. yeah they actually, and there's a, the, and the Mark ones they refer to as the swallowtail and they have yeah. all kinds of insight and, you know, it, it, as, as detailed as we got in these and, and, you know, it, it's happening to that little bit younger generation than us. But what's wild is, I did a podcast with a guy, Don Weir, who sells a bunch of literature online. And I, I was wanting to do some deep dive info on late model stuff, just like super Beatles, that kind of stuff, just to just get catalogs. And he had one of everything. So I called him up, made a package deal, chatting with him on the phone. He's in his eighties. And, uh, I said, how'd you get all these things? He goes, oh, I worked at the dealership. I was the first employee in York PA at the dealership here. And I used to make 35 bucks when I sold a bug. It's a great podcast. You got to listen to it. It's Don Weir, Life of a VW Sales Guy. And in the 70s, as they were pitching all of the sales literature, he would get it out of the trash and take it home. And he just oh has, my God. And he has cases of rabbit literature, like uh. the catalogs, like brand new. And he's like, here's a case, 25 cents a piece. You know, there's 100 of them in here. So 25 bucks you get. <laughs> <laughs> I got a similar story, actually. This is funny you bring this up, and I'm, I'm glad you kind of did because it's something fun that I don't tell a lot of people about. Yeah. Uh, so when I was just at the end of high school, getting out of high school, I went to work for our local Volkswagen dealership. I worked I worked at, uh, used to be called Demas VW and eventually became Linda Brock yeah. Volkswagen. I worked for Linda Brock from about 86 to almost, 96 uh real close to that i've worked there for a good almost 10 years and we're, I, I did every job possible there practically i started there by washing cars and i was the the courtesy shuttle driver and you know eventually i worked in parts shipping receiving for a while and so i did i did a little of everything there i eventually um i tried to become an uh, a lube tech but i eventually got hired in as a um 
service writer. And, um, and then Chapman bought the dealer from Linda Brock. And then of course they came in and we all lost our jobs, uh, within, within a few days, everybody who worked there had been replaced with Chapman people. Right. So, so when I worked there, one of the things that we would do was, and you gotta remember this is in the late eighties, early Uh nineties, me and Bill Bailey, um, he worked there as well. Me and Bill Bailey would, uh, spend our lunch hours and our free time on the microfilm machines, looking up vintage parts and typing them into the computer to see if there was any still available. I think we cleaned VW out uh, in all their warehouses. I think we cleaned out all of the NOS Type 3 uh, owner's manuals they still had in stock over a period of a year. And Type 3 running lights, you could still get them even up into the early 90s right from VW and in the gaskets for them as well. And that was just some of the stuff. I mean, there was tons of of early VW parts and in hardware and little pieces here and there. And we were ordering it as much as we could afford with each paycheck to buy, you know, to buy it from Volkswagen and having it, you know, shipped directly to us at work. Well, that's insane. I mean, and, and what's yeah. funny is there was always the dealerships. There was always like, I remember there was a guy who worked at the God and Porsche place here. He was a parts guy. And he goes, Hey, do you like those phone dial wheels? I'm like, yeah, they're all right. He's like, Dude, I can buy them in that thing. They're 80 bucks each. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was some kind of glitch or there was overstock or something, but it's like 80 bucks for a wheel, a brand new phone dial. And so yeah. uh, I snatched up a set. But, I mean, it's it's insane how sometimes on these dealerships, uh, things just get lost in the shuffle or, you know, put on blowout well, they- and close out. They came a lot of times stuff would come up no longer available, NLR. And you know, no longer available or N NLA. And what you would do is you would you would do a call the the warehouse and you would say, Hey, these are coming up in LA. Can you see if there's any dead stock? And they would still have stuff on the shelf even though it wasn't listed available any longer. Yeah. And that's we, we would get a lot of stuff that way. No, that's uh, I mean so. there's, there's there's so many there's so many variations of so many cool things in the aftermarket of the hobby, especially for one model of car that has yeah. a hundred different manufacturers make things for them. You know, I remember at one point, Bill, Bill had, you know, Bill was relentless too about looking stuff up. And I remember at one point he found, he found carpet kits in all different colors for VW bug through the dealer. They were, they were made by a third party, not by VW, but they were sold through the dealerships and he found them and there was something like 300 sets of carpet kits and seat cover sets. And we bought them all, wow. all of them. And I remember loading the single cab multiple times coming home with that, with the single cab, just overflowing with these boxes full of like colored carpet. Every swap meet, if you came by us, we would have carpet kits and seat cover sets for every model of air cooled VW every year possible. I mean, we had them all. That's nuts, man. It's uh, it's just it's it, it's just crazy that stuff like that would be available, and then to think what they'd be worth today. Yeah, you know? today. I mean, this was all in the '90s, and we sold all this stuff back then. Yeah, that's that's wild, man. Well, cool. Well, you know, I'm glad we got the chat, man, and just kind of catch up. On, Absolutely. On on some of the stuff, and uh, in the future, you know, when you get that, when you get your camper bus done, man uh let's uh let's do let's do a deep dive on that dude on the process and everything you had to go through and what it took to 
get that thing restored to the the, the hardest restoration <laughs> I think anyone could ever take on is is an old vintage camper because yeah you no know, VW made the bus but Westphalia made the interior and then everybody on the planet made parts for that you know for that interior and it's like the hardest it's the hardest restoration it's like doing it's like doing two or three restorations you know, in one vehicle, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing you'll ever, the most expensive restoration you'll ever take on. Oh, I can, I can only imagine. And that's, what's why one of those things where, you know, I was telling somebody, I said, if, if you, if you buy a car, all you can do is hope you buy it as complete as possible, because especially if it's I, a really rare I, car. I tell everybody that I said, spend more money and buy a complete driving one. I go, I know it, I know it seems crazy it, to, to pay twice for something, but I go in the long run. You'll be able to enjoy it immediately and you'll it'll cost you less time and less money over a long period because oh. you won't be chasing parts for the rest of your life. Uh, no question about that. Well, well, cool, man. So I'm glad we had to get you on the podcast. Anybody wants to get in touch with you, um, they can reach out to you. Are you on Instagram, Facebook, or I'm I'm on Insta I'm on Facebook is my name. Um, I've got multiple pages. I also have Second Avenue scooters on both Facebook and Instagram. Okay. I'm at second Avenue scooters on Instagram. Um, I also have a, you know, I, I, you know, have a little art project business called the witch doctor's den. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have that's uh, at the witch doctor's den on Instagram and nice. I have the witch doctor's den page on Facebook as well. And that's, again, that's my little side business art project now, what kind is, of business. Now, what does that entail? Is that, is that the, cause I thought you saw, I saw you doing something with Tiki stuff, right? Like Tiki lounge. Yeah. Stuff? We're, really big into the, you know, getting a little older, slowing down a little bit, getting into Tiki, um, really enjoy the, the real kind of, it's kind of, if you're into buses, it's kind of the same kind of vibe, you know, that kind of relaxing, you know, cocktails and, you know, surf music kind of thing. And, um, I make Tiki lamps like bar lamps. And, uh, I, uh, I chased down a mid-century artist's work that was that was discontinued many uh, in 1969, and I bought copyright license to reproduce his art and sell his art. Wow! Um, so I, you know, I got a hold of his family and got permission through his family and through the actual owner of the copyright, who wasn't his family. And um, I'm, I've been, you know, re- reissuing his his prints that were printed between '66 and '69. Um, and uh, we make uh, we make um, novelty uh, purses. Uh, they're wicker puffer fish. Oh, very cool. Currently, yeah, we're working on some newer designs for next year, but we make these purses kind of fun for all the girls who are into the vintage clothing and the pinup look, and they get to have these fun little purses we make. Wow, there's plenty of listeners that, that are into that too. So what's the what's the uh, Instagram for that one? Instagram's at, at Witch Doctor's Den. Oh, very cool, man. Yeah, the Shopify page is thewitchdoctorsden.com. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we got to, to, to finally sit down and do this. I've been wanting to do it for a while, so... Uh, yeah. I, I look forward to it. And thanks for coming on, man. Happy, happy to share. You know, I spent a lot of, a lot of my life chasing this stuff, you know, yeah. out of passion. It was really for passion. Well, that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's what the whole hobby's about is just, you're just really into something and it's, it's so exciting to pursue something that was part of history that people forgot about. You yeah. Know? And, and to bring that stuff to light and then to find other people that can appreciate that same history of days gone by is something cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime if you want, I can, we could, we could dive deeper into some of the, some of the back East, all the, the junkyards. And I've got stories about cars that, you know, rarest of the rare cars found in junkyards that were absolutely unrestorable. 
No, absolutely. You know, 356 Carrera Porsches and, and 550 Spiders and cars that don't exist. And we, we found them, but they were so far gone. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to circle back and do one, man, for sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, Eric, I can't thank you enough, man. You're very welcome. Thanks for, thanks for giving me an opportunity to share. You got it. Cool. Well, hopefully you guys learned a lot and you enjoyed that podcast because I certainly did. And if you enjoyed this podcast, think about sharing it with some of your friends. Send it to your VW groups. Connect all your VW friends with this podcast, the greatest VW podcast that's out on the market. There's other ones coming out and we're going to be talking about those coming up. And we're going to share those because we love when other people bring more VW content out there for our listeners. We don't get jelly. We just work harder. So looking forward to that. And if I see you guys at Buses by the Bridge, I may be there next week. So don't forget Lake Havasu. London Bridge Beach next weekend. And until next week, guys, later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen.